Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. to Learning Made Easier. You're listening to the COVID-19 special episodes. This podcast is about effective learning and effective teaching. And now we all get to do this with a brand new wrinkle provided by COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, which is sweeping the world in a pandemic, the likes of which we have not seen since AIDS, polio, and the 1918 Spanish flu. As a result of COVID-19, many universities, colleges, and K-12 schools have either closed down or moved to distance learning, which, for most teachers, means going online. In this special COVID-19 series, we'll unpack some of the major issues teachers and students are facing, as well as ways to deal with these issues. Now, please note, we are not going to pull punches here. We are going to be direct and blunt about what can be done and what cannot be done. We're not going to be able to tell you how to keep things just the way they used to be, because that's not possible. So with that in mind, let's move forward. This is our 12th episode in the series. What about materials? This pandemic has pulled back the curtain on a lot of inequities our students have been facing without us actually realizing they were facing them. Expectations that seemed reasonable when our students were either living on campus or able to be on campus now show themselves to be completely unreasonable when they're locked down in their homes. The idea that every student has a computer, a word processing program, stable internet, and the textbook is no longer an idea that stands up to reality, and we need to realize our expectations are unreasonable. Now, in this episode, Denor and I are mainly going to be talking about our own experiences with this issue and with our students. Both of us teach at campuses that have a lot of students that are first-gen and low-income, and these inequities may not be as obvious to, say, people at a small liberal arts college that has mainly a white majority student body, but in areas where your students are first generation or low income or have some other barrier to being able to just be a full-time student and no issues these are things that we've seen more and more and we think that all educators really should be aware of this so that we can avoid stigmatizing our students for things they have no control over. one of the things that we ran into and that we know other people have run into. For example, we are on Facebook groups that formed specifically to discuss these problems with the coronavirus in higher education. And we had a lot of people saying, my students were told to not to come back after spring break. Well, everybody had assumed they would be coming back after spring break before COVID hit. So they left their textbooks in their dorm room. They left their computer in their dorm room. They left their syllabus in their dorm room. And now they don't have access to any of that. And the thing is, we have to be flexible about that. Granted, we will probably not be facing this in the fall unless you're on a campus where you're trying to go back in person at the, at the beginning of the term. There's a very good chance that at some point you're all going to have to do what we did in spring and go online again. And if that's the case, you can expect that students will either leave their textbooks in their dorm room or forget their textbooks in their dorm room if they even have the textbook. And we mentioned students being low income, that's a significant barrier for a lot of them. And you might say, well, if they left the textbook in their dorm room, shouldn't they pay for another copy so they can finish the class? And both Adam and I think that that would be really patently unfair. 
it's hard enough for students to buy one copy of textbooks given their prices, let alone buying two or more copies, not only for one class, but for whatever classes they left their books in their dorm for. And another thing about that too, many of us put one or two of the copies of the textbook on reserve at the library. A lot more students than you know really depend on reserve copies. I know that even me, you know, I'm a white guy, and even for me, when I first went back to school, I depended on reserve copies because I did not have any kind of income that would allow me to buy a $350 textbook. It just wasn't going to happen. I remember one time there was a book I needed, and I couldn't get it at my local library, so I actually had to go to a different university's library, show my student card from the other university, and say, pretty please, could I just sit in here and look at this book for a couple hours while I do my homework? Because I lived far away from the campus, and so I couldn't even get to the reserve copy at my campus. And so we have to really think about this. Is it fair to tell a student who, through no fault of their own, does not have access to the book, just buy another one? Uh, we had an economic shutdown when the federal government shut down and people had no income for a month. And there were some really clueless government folks, you know, in high echelon government areas saying, well, why don't they just take out a loan for the month? As if anybody could do that. We need to make sure that our assumptions about the way the world works aren't things that we're imposing on our students because that may not be the way that their world works. And I know that another barrier for a lot of students is not having consistently strong internet access. I had students telling me that sometimes they would try and go to a classmate's house or sit outside that house and try and jump on their Wi-Fi so that they could take tests. And they said they had to schedule these meetings with their classmates so that wouldn't appear like cheating. And I told them, one, cheating was not the first or most pressing of my concerns, and two, if there were issues with the internet, then I understand that and I just wouldn't have entered a score. So their grade wouldn't have gone up, but I certainly wasn't going to penalize them for not being able to take a test because it's not their fault that they don't have consistently strong internet access. Yeah, and we both live in Los Angeles and I have students who live, for example, in inner city areas. There's no internet there, or if there is, it's only through your cell phone and only when the cell towers have a little space for you. And I've had students say even getting a Wi-Fi hotspot wouldn't fix the problem of there ain't no internet here. And so we really have to be aware of these issues. There's also the issue of do they have a computer at home? Do they have a printer? Because a lot of us still expect students to at least print some stuff out, you know, like print out this worksheet, fill it out, take a photo and send it back. Yeah, that's nice. What if they don't have a printer? And they can't, you know, just bip over to Kinko's and print out something. Kinko's is closed. And we tend to penalize our students for things that they don't really have a lot of control over. And we need to stop doing that because this pandemic has created a situation where none of the things we expect students to have are valid or reasonable expectations anymore. And so we really need to be aware of that. And related to that, what if they have a computer at home, but they've got two or three siblings and parents or grandparents who also need to use the computer? It's hard for them to budget that time, both for class sessions and for homework, when there are multiple people trying to get onto one, maybe two computers or tablets. And again, this is something that is completely out of their control. They have no say in this. Now, I can hear some of our faculty listeners saying, well, why don't they tell me? You know, why don't they tell me? Well, there's a huge stigma about not having your own computer, your own bedroom, your own internet access. These students are aware of the stigma. 
they are aware of people looking down on them because they don't have the same things that their middle class classmates have. And so having to out themselves as poor or having low levels of income, maybe not poor, but definitely not even into the working class, that may mean that some students will look at that as my teacher will think less of me if I tell them that I'm poor. My teacher will think less of me if I tell them I can't afford another copy of the textbook or even any copy of the textbook. And so that also brings up the fear of being viewed as irresponsible. And let's not pretend that we don't stigmatize the poor in this country. We do. We totally do. And we treat the poor as if they are irresponsible. We treat the poor as if they are lazy. And I'm sorry, but I've never met a lazy poor person. All right, what I've met is poor people who are working three part-time jobs to try to cobble together something like an income that allows them to feed themselves and their kids and pay for the roof over their heads. And frankly, when you look at it that way, a textbook is a luxury. It really is. But this fear of the stigma of having to say I'm poor and the fear that there will be professors who view that just saying I'm poor as an excuse instead of a reason which means they're being viewed as irresponsible and lazy, there's going to be students who just stop engaging or they stop submitting work because the stigma is too much. It is too painful. The stigma of being seen as not a hard worker, not responsible, lazy. These are things that we may think about our students when they don't turn something in for three weeks. We never considered the fact that they might not have had any internet access and they're operating from their phone, which just stopped working which does happen with older folks. And related to that, what if students are trying to complete the work, but they're writing their papers on phones or on tablets with software that doesn't have spell check? Now they're going to turn something in and you look at it and go, wow, this is riddled with typos, with grammatical errors. It doesn't look like you spent much time on this. That might not be the case. I know myself personally, it's tough to text a lot on a phone and I've grown up using cell phones. I imagine that just because a student has grown up even more than I have with cell phones doesn't make it significantly easier to write lengthy things like like papers on a phone, especially given that you're looking at a much smaller screen. And so one of the things that Adam and I will suggest when we talk about solutions is keep that in mind and be flexible, be understanding, be compassionate with your students because just as we're not handling COVID-19 as amazingly as we'd love to, I'm sure that our students aren't and we're all not handling them because we're facing different barriers and the way our campuses are reacting to this crisis is really highlighting a lot of inequity in higher education. Highlighting? It's shining a damn spotlight on them, isn't it? It feels like an interrogation lamp, you know, the kind that they shine on you when they're trying to get you to talk. That's what this feels like. It's thrown all of these problems into sharp relief, into serious relief to say, hey, if you haven't noticed these before, you have no excuse not to notice them now. Which brings us to ethics. Ethically, come on. We cannot demand that students have perfect internet access, usable or up-to-date computer systems, software, and other kinds of access when we don't provide ways for them to get it. So we've got to find solutions that allow students to continue to succeed even under these inequitable circumstances. So here's a few possible solutions. And the first one was something that I instituted for my classes in the spring. It might not work as well in the fall if you're fully online, but I instituted a grade floor. And that meant that whatever my students' grades were when our campus closed, 
that was the absolute lowest those grades could be for the term. And that meant that their grades could stay the same if they couldn't submit any work, or it could go up. But if a student had a high grade and they weren't able to submit work, they kept that high grade because I did not want to penalize them for not being able to complete this work just because campus shut down. And I would also suggest that even if you are starting fully online in the fall, start with the assumption that you may have to create a grade floor in week seven. If you are starting on campus and you may have to go online suddenly, say in late September or early October, if COVID spikes in your area again, then you've got to set up your grading system so that it can have a grade floor. So that you can say, okay, at this point, with this many points or with this much work done, this student had a C minus. So that's the lowest they can go, even if they turn in nothing else. So if you have one of those grading systems where you have to get X number of points to get to the point where you're at a C, you may want to rethink that grading system for this semester, at least for this term, because not everybody's going to be able to follow that. It's not going to work very well. And it's not fair to tell the kid who has no internet access and only a phone that they are going to get an F in the class because they were only turning in work until the day that everybody got sent home in the middle of September or early October. So be kind about that too. Really design your grading system with the idea that I might have to adjust for the fact that, you know, eight of my students can't get to class anymore. So as long as we're talking about flexibility, Denor mentioned this earlier and so did I, if they are having to use a phone to turn in their work, whether it's typing a response on a discussion board or writing an essay or doing a full research paper, you're going to have to be more flexible in how you grade. So I remember, Janor, one time we talked about how papers, you said that 90% of it was the content and 10% of it was the, the grammar and the spelling and whether they did their citations correctly or not. Maybe just throw that out completely and only look at the content. You know, if they can write reasonably coherently, and if you're remembering that they are probably typing this on a phone or a tablet with no spell check, it will allow you to be compassionate while still giving them feedback on the work they did. So it means you're going to have to stop nitpicking on things like typos and nitpicking on grammar errors and nitpicking on run-on sentences and things like that because those are just not as important and they're really hard to control when you're writing on a tablet or on a phone. If you're able to, then post what you can to your learning management system. And I mean things like readings or your slides or recorded lectures. And ideally make these low bandwidth options. So if you're recording lectures, one of the things I do is I'll record the lecture with my students where you can see the, uh, the PowerPoint slides, but I also record a ver or I post a version of it just as an MP3, which is going to take up a lot less data for students who might not be able to access the video file. I post my slides ahead of time. I post my readings even ahead of the term, really, just so that my students can try and get familiar with the material if they'd like. And I try and make it so that if a student misses class because they had caregiving obligations or they had to go to work, they can still access the material that they need to cover for my class. And when we're talking about low bandwidth, another thing you can do is post the MP3 or even the lecture video and give students a little bit of extra credit for writing a transcript and then put the transcript up. And then also about low bandwidth, that also means asynchronous, folks. It means don't hold your classes where they have to be there at 1030 in the morning. They might have to be at work. They might be taking care of their daughter at that time. They might be trying to take care of a grandparent. 
you don't know what your student's situation is, don't assume that they can show up at 10 o'clock. And one of the things that I do, because I do have some students that do want to meet with me in real time, and that's totally fine. And I'll have students who say, well, I'm coming in a little bit late. Is that okay? And one of the things I do is on Zoom, I mute everyone after a certain point when I start lecturing, just so that I don't get too much noise coming in. But I also make a point of either putting in the chat or saying verbally, hey, I'm really glad you're here. I'm glad you were able to make it. And I'd rather set that kind of tone, one that we're all working together, than the adversarial, why did you come in late kind of tone. So maybe be kind in that sense too. It doesn't change a grade, it doesn't cost you anything, but you can always tell a student, hey, I'm really glad you could make it to class today. And you have no idea, that might really make their day. They might feel appreciated, they know that you mean it. It might be the only appreciation they get that day. Another thing about low bandwidth, think downloadability. Denor mentioned how much data it uses, right? So I had one student who told me last semester, last term, that the way that they downloaded everything they needed was they would pull into the campus parking lot so that they could use the campus Wi-Fi for 30 minutes or so. And while they were there, all they were doing was downloading everything to their phone so that they could look at the next two lectures, so that they could read the questions that I'd put up, so that they could look at the discussion boards. And then they would go home, write everything they needed to write on their phone. And then they would come back and they would upload it all, which is why I would get like six submissions from them all at once on a Saturday, because they couldn't be on campus, but they made a point of coming to campus just to use the Wi-Fi because they had no Wi-Fi at home. When they're willing to go to those lengths to make sure that they can get their work and that they can get it to you, it's kind of incumbent upon us that we make sure that we create an easy situation for them to download stuff so that they can get those three readings and maybe reduce the number of things they have to download, folks. Reduce the number of readings they have to read. Reduce the number of worksheets they have to fill out. Reduce the number of assignments that they need to upload, okay? Try to reduce how much data they have to use because they have to pay for that data. And again, we're talking about students who may be first gen, low income, or both. Now, another thing that you might look into, especially because we are going into a term where it's very likely that we're all gonna be online at some point, stop requiring physical textbooks. Look for eBooks. Preference an eBook textbook over a non-eBook textbook. Preference an eBook textbook that can be rented say from Amazon or from the publisher over a hardback that they have to then, you know, get shipped to them and they have to pay full price for. An ebook is better than no book and an ebook is often accessible on a phone. And this way you don't have to worry about them forgetting their book in their dorm room. It's on their phone. Related to that, limit how many materials your students have to buy. And this is both out of financial concerns, which Adam and I have discussed, and also out of safety concerns for their health. If there are going to be spikes, then it's not going to be safe for students or anyone really to be shopping in person. So limit how much they have to buy and be considerate of the fact that they don't have a lot of money. And now that campuses have closed, they also don't have access to their campus library. And finally, don't demand that they install new software. Like, don't require them to install a lockdown browser. We have just described what some of them have to do just to get to the materials of your class. Requiring them to be online at a synchronous time with everybody else, with you watching them take the exam, 
that's not realistic, folks. It's not even about it not being fair. It's just not freaking realistic, given what they're having to deal with. Don't demand lockdown browsers anymore. Design your exams to be take-home. Design your exams to be open note and open book. Focus more on how they use what you're teaching them and less on whether they can memorize it and spit it back out. And for students, if you're able to keep working because you have all of the materials needed for your classes, not to mention you've got the time and the space, and by all means, keep working. And if possible, share your materials, but not your work, with one another. Meaning, if you have the materials, but you've got to go to work because you're an essential employee, or you've got caregiving obligations, and there's no way you're going to be able to get this reading done until way later tonight, consider loaning the materials to a classmate who needs them and have them return the materials to you or get you a copy of them by an agreed upon time and day. And just think of yourself as a really low scale library. I'm quoting someone here, but there's the famous phrase that survival is the law of the jungle, there's survival of the fittest, but cooperation is the law of civilization. Working together is how we're going to get through this pandemic. And if you're able to be a resource for someone, then by all means, be that resource. And if you need help, don't be ashamed to ask for it. Now, students, if you don't have the materials you need, then talk to your professor or professors and let them know you don't. We can't know the materials situation for each of our students. And without that communication, there are professors out there who, if they see nothing submitted from you, might assume that you're apathetic or that you're lazy. And we know that that's not true and we know that that's not fair. If you're afraid of telling a professor, look, I am low income and I cannot buy another copy of the textbook, or look, I'm low income, I live in a bad area of town, and we don't even have phone service, let alone internet service, then maybe talk to a classmate about doubling up on materials like Tenor just talked about, or have a classmate you trust, go to the professor anonymously on everybody's behalf. Like this student who doesn't feel afraid of the professor could send the professor an email and say something like, hey, professor, I was talking to some people in class and a few of them mentioned that they don't have internet access at home. They're really not sure what to do. Could you maybe like put up an announcement or something about that so that they'd know? And don't name names, of course, if you're the student who is emailing the professor, but just say, I know there's a few other students in this class who are really struggling because when they're at home, they don't have any private place to be in during our class time. And it's really hard for them to get to class. So maybe you could think about putting the slides up or putting the lectures up so that they can download them when they get the chance. Professors, be proactive. If a student emails saying they don't have their textbook because they can't go on campus, find out if the publisher has that in ebook format and make that information available to the entire class. Take it as read that if one student is lacking internet access, there's going to be others who are lacking internet access as well. Ask your campus for resources as well. Some campuses might loan Wi-Fi hotspots, some are providing loaner laptops because they're trying to get students back online from their homes. But keep in mind that campuses typically have less technology than the student body may demand, especially with campus closed. And one other thing, professors, if your colleagues are complaining or dragging their feet about helping in these ways, call them on it, please. Especially if you're tenured. If you're tenured faculty, 
calling out the people who are saying, well, these students are just being lazy because they're not trying hard enough and they're not working hard enough and they're not getting the textbook. Call them out on the textbook. Say, do you really need a $350 textbook? Could you find that as an open education resource, OER? Could you maybe you know, not demand that they read nine readings every week? Maybe you could just ask them for three. What have you done to make their lives a little bit less difficult? And yes, professors, it is our job to make their lives a little bit less difficult because they're dealing with an international pandemic, folks, and they don't have as many resources as most of their professors do. Keep your classes challenging, but your students' lives a little bit more peaceful. So that's what we have for you in this special episode of Learning Made Easier. Please send this to other professionals and students who might be facing these issues as well. The easiest link to share is probably our Patreon. So patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. If you're able to support us on Patreon right now, we would really appreciate it. Please join us next time for our next COVID-19 episode, where we'll talk about how to build online courses by going modular. And we'll see you then. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. And we look forward to seeing you next week.